This is the MG Car Club Podcast with Wayne Scott and Adam Sloman. On this episode, former editor of Auto Express, James Batchelor, gives us his take on how MG sit within the UK motor industry post-COVID-19. Plus, Adam has unearthed a fantastic invite for MG employees only to a special party in 1979. The MG Car Club Podcast. From the depths of a beautiful, warm, sunshine heatwave here in England, the home of MG, welcome to the MG Car Club podcast. Wayne Scott with you. Adam's here as well, sweating away at Kimber House. Oh my God, it's hot. It is warm, and Adam. <laughs> it is definitely a warm one. And uh, if you're catching up with this podcast at another time during the summer or perhaps a little bit later on in the year and you're sat there and it's cold and it's wet, just imagine us. Here we are. I'm sat in my uh, 90th anniversary polo shirt from the MG Car Club shop, of course, and my shorts and not much else, to be honest, dear listener. I'll leave you with that image that will cheer you up no end and adam is over there in kimber house where it's equally as warm yes so i've got the benefit of uh looking out across the roof of the john thorny suite which is clad in black tiles which get incredibly hot and then spread that heat uh throughout the whole building so uh so yeah it's um it's really rather toasty today i was listening to the news earlier on and they did that thing that british media do i don't know whether it's the same in your country wherever you're listening to us from they do this thing when whenever it gets a little bit warm like what used to be called summer weather now is called heat wave and global warming in the old days adam it used to be called summer i'm sure it used to be can we not just enjoy summer now without it being like guilt ridden well I, i'm personally blaming you for smoking around in all those v8s mate it's got to be your fault it's you that's uh, leading global warming i'm convinced of it i accept personal responsibility for all of that <laughs> uh, good news if you live in scotland this week because motorsport uk has announced that uh, the sport can resume in scotland after publication of further guidance from the governing body of motorsport of course they restarted in england way back at the beginning of uh, july towards the end of june there and the mg car club itself has already been out and about on track our first round of our race championship was at donnington you can hear the interview with mark bolsh that we had before that uh, in a few episodes ago actually on the mg car club podcast but now scotland have their motorsport back as well and it's nice just to see some normality returning to the uk UK, isn't it Adam? Yeah it's brilliant I mean like you say we, we've already had our first race meeting of the season um, but it's a shame when sort of the, the devolution of the UK means that one group of people can do one thing but another group of people can't um, you know ultimately we want everyone to be able to have access to the same thing so yeah no it's good to see. The trouble is we are still as a car club at least kind of locked down in the sense that natters and uh, regional meets aren't yet taking place are they? No so the guidance really hasn't changed and the the sort of main message from the club has got to be sort of safety first I know we're used to saying safety first but um, in this case it's got to be safety first and until that that guidance does get changed and, and the risks get lower um, yeah we we're sort of as we were really. And of course, uh, the MG Car Club, very active in Scotland. And a big shout out to our Caledonian friends, Adam. We should mention them. 
Yeah, the Cali Centre are a great bunch of guys. So um, hello to all our friends north of the border and hopefully I can get up to see you soon. Absolutely. Brilliant driving roads up there in Scotland for any kind of MG. Also, on a slightly lighter note, Adam, I know that you've spent a little bit of time on Facebook recently because you've been watching the ongoing campaign that the MG Car Club are running at the moment for International Youth Day, which was the 12th of August 2020. But um, we kind of made out a week or 10 days of celebrating youth involved with MGs and some of the people we met through that campaign fantastic you can still see it if you scroll through our uh, uh, timeline on Facebook or indeed on Instagram as well you can see some of the videos and the stories the reports from the young members that were featured on the MG car club and some of the young people who work for MG motor around the world as well you can see them on the news pages at mgcc.co.uk it was a brilliant opportunity Adam to celebrate the future of the MG brand or Yeah, it really was. When we started looking into it, sort of beyond just our our amazing young members branch, we realised that there are actually too many good stories just for World International Youth Day. So like you said, we stretched it out into the week. Um, We started on on Sunday with, uh, on the 8th, with uh, Josh Langstaff. And Josh is a lovely guy, um, very, very passionate about MG. uh, And we've been rolling those stories out through the week. So yeah, they're all on on our website and well worth a read. And while you're on Facebook, looking at all of those fantastic stories from young people involved with the MG brand, you went shopping, didn't you? And I caught you at it, actually. You were there flicking through Facebook Marketplace, and I was about to tell you off (laughs) until, well, you discovered this amazing story of this car collection that's come to light that just kind of randomly appeared on Facebook Marketplace for sale, and they're just selling off like almost hundreds of mgs there's all sorts of stuff here isn't there yeah so like you said you're sort of flicking through facebook and you know the the good old facebook algorithm knows that you like mg so <laughs> serves up more content that you're likely to to click on and um yeah i decided that uh, i think you and i ought to pack our bags mm. and jump on a plane and head over to uh, california um, for a bit of uh, summer sun, we could go and see our friend Ant. I'm sure he put us up, Ant Anstead. Yep. And uh, we could bring back a collection of 13 MGBs, 13 MG midgets, a couple of uh, ZA magnets. There's even a couple of Triumphs in there. Basically, there's a guy who has got a tremendous collection of cars. They all need work. Um, but having sat out in that gorgeous Californian sun I'm willing to bet that they're going to be pretty rust free um yeah let's let's buy ourselves a uh, let's buy ourselves a shipping uh, container or, or or 10 and let's bring them back some of the cars have been advertised individually but obviously there are so many cars the sellers just decided to take group shops if you like and in one particular picture there's like 10 mgbs GTs, convertibles, rubber bumper, chrome bumpers, the lot, all kind of wedged underneath a tree. And you just see the scale of this collection. And it's just incredible that after all these years, when you think all of the derelict car collections that could be found have been found, they're still coming out the woodwork. It's mad. And the question I always ask is, how did it get to that point? Yes. Because yes. you buy one MGB and then you buy another MGB. But, uh, you know, this guy doesn't appear to have been in business, doesn't appear to have been a, a specialist, um, but just seems to have, have sort of gathered together this collection of cars that seem to have had some parts removed. Others look 
almost sort of complete you know there's a there's a blue rubber bumper b at the front of this group shot that you mentioned that looks almost complete um but how did he end up with with sort of you know 30 40 50 cars it's it's crazy amazing they're based at lake elsonora which is in california just to the southeast of la basically these cars and um when's the plane booked for adam when are we going over so basically as soon as we finish recording mate um if you come and pick me up we'll get down to heathrow and we can be there by uh, this time tomorrow bags are packed i'm there and uh, i've just got to find the garage space to put them all in when we ship them over but We'll find a way. We'll find a way. Perhaps some of our podcast listeners can put some up for us. <laughs> Offer Sounds us like some, a good idea. some spare storage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's amazing that, uh, of course, we cover lots of the cars at auction as well in the uh, weekly newsletter that goes out from the MG Car Club. And uh, I always like to ferret around the internet to try and find interesting cars that have arrived at auction. And very recently, Silverstone Auctions had a massive sale, uh, one of their record-breaking sales. They seem to be doing really well during the lockdown and the pandemic. And they just sold off a whole load of uh, Anthony Hamilton's cars as well from his collection, which was another collection that recently came to light. Anthony Hamilton, of course, great friend of the mg car club father to lewis hamilton who of course won enough to put him on the podium beside michael schumacher with the record for the number of podiums so uh, good stuff lewis i was cheering him on from the sofa looking at an empty silverstone (laughs) on the tv it's weird it It is really strange it is weird we should have been there of course this year with mg live but it wasn't meant to be however News of MG Live 2021 coming soon, very soon, hopefully. Uh, So we hope to bring you news of that on the podcast and, of course, the weekly e-newsletter, which if you're not getting, get yourself on the list because you're missing out if you're not reading it. Now time for the challenge I set Adam every week, basically, which is to get lost (laughs) and go digging in the MG Car Club archives in the depths and the bowels of kimber house and i uh, sent him in there with his little canary in a cage and a torchlight and uh, what have you come up with this week so i have descended the uh, staircase into the archive this week and i have come out with the golden jubilee program of events which was held from the 1st of september to the 9th of september back in 1979 and that was to mark 50 years of production of mg cars here in abingdon and it's a a really good sort of thick proper old school event program um and it's amazing to see just how much of abingdon was turned over to the to the week-long celebration blooming expensive though adam they're taking the mick weren't they adult 60p children 40p crikey ah but if you bought your tickets for the firework gala before the night your adult ticket was just 40p um and your child's ticket was 30p (laughs) now what i really like in this though is that i don't quite understand some of the explanations of what was available so craft craft stalls get that local displays yep fun balloon (laughs) <laughs> what, what does that mean fun balloon was there just a guy stood there with a balloon going come and see my balloon or was it like a, a hot air balloon because i know that the the mg hot air balloon was there um later in the week so it was the hot air balloon that night and judo displays i mean that's that's pretty advanced for 1979 very progressive but one of my favorite things is um just the the difference in the way things are promoted um between then and now so two of my favorite things are on sunday the 2nd of september was the pram and beer race 
The Pram Beer Race will start from the White Horse in Ox Street at 12 noon, calling at a total of 18 licensed premises to finish at the MG Social and Athletic Club in Caldercott Road. Each team will consist of three members who will take it in turns for two of them to push the pram, with a third member riding in it. At each stop, one member of the team will drink half a pint of beer and then push the pram to the next stop. That's nine pints. Sounds like a brilliant you- night to me. <laughs> <laughs> and then on also on the uh, on the Monday, on the third of September, was a, a Jubilee football match held between Abingdon Town FC and the football section of the MG Social Athletic Club. Uh, now, what I really like is the way that they, they promote this. Come and support the team of your choice in an event which we feel most spectators will find entertaining. Most spectators. <laughs> not, not everyone. Not everyone's going to enjoy it, but most will. The old speckled hen shield will have to be won by somebody. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> I think we can just lift this copy and paste straight into the programme for next year's MG Live. I don't know why we oh, spend so much time planning it. It's all done for us. It's brilliant. And then they go on to talk about there was an Aunt Sally competition. Now, being a boy from Devon... Yeah, I don't know what that is. So Aunt Sally is a pub game. Right. And it only seems to be played in Oxfordshire. (laughs) Right. Okay, so what you do is you have a... You have a... um, Like a, a pole that is sort of two foot above the ground. And on top of that pole is a like a wooden doll... And then you have to try and knock the doll off the pole by throwing a stick at it. Now, the stick can't hit the iron, the, the, the pole. It can only hit the doll. And each player gets six sticks and has to stand like quite far, like something like 20 or 30 feet away from the doll. And then you, I guess you score points by, by knocking it off the stick. People were I mean, easily I, I, pleased in 1979, weren't they? But there's still a there's still an Aunt Sally association in Abingdon today. So you know, if you go to any of the pubs in and around Abingdon, next time you come to Kimber House, I'll take you down to the White Horse, and you can see there um, they still are set up for Aunt Sally. Most of the pubs in and around Abingdon still play Aunt Sally. <laughs> uh, what I do like, though, as well, you've got the exotic games like Aunt Sally, but also. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the exotic food, and I'm guessing this is exotic for the period because they've got some food from a place called America, and they've got an American barbecue, which is handily supplied by Jaguar Rover Triumph Limited, New Jersey, who are responsible, it says here, for the distribution and sale of uh, all the MG vehicles in the American market, and they have put on this wonderful themed American barbecue which today we would know as a barbecue. <laughs> but then it was quite exotic, it would seem. This whole week of events must have been just brilliant. I mean, the, the Carnival Day itself on the, on the 8th, they had a procession from the factory gates in Spring Gardens um, that had all sorts of amazing cars in here. They had old number one. They had some of those concept prototype cars from the 60s that we talked about. Um, they had a Jubilee disco. Um, they had uh, the, M- the the legendary MG Hot Air Balloon, the Red Arrows, the RAF Robins um, did a parachute display uh, onto the sports club. They had welly wanging, supported oh, by Dunlop. Hey, fantastic! You yeah, know, it's a party. Uh, it, it's it's just it is genuinely brilliant to think that so much of the town came together to celebrate like this. 
But then, of course, with the hindsight of history, we know that on the 10th of September, on the Monday, British Leyland announced they were going to close the factory. Yeah. Um, So many of those people that would have lost their jobs literally almost the next day were involved in the organisation of this. In the small print here, there's like little lines of thanks to those who contributed various bits of the day. So the driving Jim Carner will be run, it says here, by the MG Social and Athletic Club, the auto section. This is really nice. Um, one bit that I found here, uh, just in very small print, it says that um, for the Grand Jubilee Dance, the flowers was supplied by the Pressed Steel Gardening Department from Cowley. Isn't that an amazing little insight into history there? And what's different, really, from the factory as it was then? There's such like a society, a social community around the factory then that you just don't see in that scale anymore. It's kind of like an extension of the working man's club, you know, but obviously stretching into much more diverse parts of the community. Yeah, I mean, the thing to remember is that before MG came to Abingdon, there really wasn't anything here, mm. you know, and the, the factory brought so many people. Between between the, the MG Works and obviously Moreland's Brewery, that brought so many people into Abingdon, and it was so sort of deep into the into the local community. So, yeah, it's... Um, you, I can't imagine a manufacturer today... Um, suggesting its factory employees push push each other around the town where the factory's based um, in a pram whilst drinking as much beer as humanly possible. I think it's a brilliant idea, but I can't imagine um, Toyota or Jaguar Land Rover suggesting that someone does that. You and I, of course, couldn't have gone, Adam, because it strictly says on the very last page uh, that an entrance, there's only two tickets and uh, it's only ticket entry available and it's only available to MG employees only. So we wouldn't have been able to go. Uh, but uh, a fantastic insight into history there. And what we'll do is we'll put all of the little photographs that we've taken on the MG Podcast website where this episode plays from. Okay, so if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Google or Spotify, just pop over to mgpodcast.uk and I'll put all of the images that we've taken, the pages we're talking about from that programme of events from the MG Abingdon Golden Jubilee event from 1979 up there so you too can have a flick through and marvel at this little insight into a fantastic moment in history. The MG Car Club Podcast. The MG Car Club, the mark of friendship. To take advantage of our many membership benefits, access to our centres and registers, and to receive your copy of Safety Fast magazine, join us now at mgcc.go.uk. Share your passion for MG on the MG Car Club Podcast. Well, now on the MG Car Club podcast, talking to another MG owner, this one, one from the world of professional motoring journalism. Yes, it's James Batchelor. He's a motoring journalist, previous editor of Auto Express, car dealer and others. James, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Wayne. What, what an intro there. I feel quite feel quite flattered, actually. Thank you. Well, I like to build people up before we slowly knock them down. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's good to have like a professional hack on really because we you know adam and i talk about the uh, car world as it is and the motor industry in general but there you are at the coalface talking to dealers and brands face to face and working with the biggest stories out there in the motor industry i mean it has been one hell of a year hasn't it it's been an absolutely extraordinary year i mean uh, you know we all started the year off uh, very confidently uh, particularly those in the trade, in the motor trade. They're all gearing up for a uh, stellar year in terms of new car sales. January and February were looking uh, as though they're going to be record-breaking. And then in March, well, we knew, well, we know what what, uh, what happened in March. And, uh, and of course, you know, dealerships all had to close their doors during March. Um, and it's been an incredibly tough time. The amazing thing during lockdown, though, has been the rise in uh, used car sales. Um, it, uh, used cars have gone absolutely berserk. Um, I know the S&T have come out and said that used car sales were down 50% during uh, in, in quarter two, and they were. But the but the actual used cars that were selling were pretty extraordinary, really. So um, we saw the rise in, in MPVs. You know, um, city cars because people are too scared to use public transport and sports cars as well. So cars in the 50 to 70,000 pound bracket have gone absolutely through the roof, most probably because people have uh, decided that life is very short. Coronavirus has made them think, well, I've actually put aside a bit of money during uh, lockdown. I haven't been uh, going to the theatre. I haven't been going on holiday. So I'm going to splash out on a on a nice car. So, yeah, the motor trade has been pretty extraordinary, really. And, you know, conversely, with new cars, they've completely flatlined, as you would expect. Um, but things are picking up and uh, we are all expecting September to be a mental month really september is always a, a big month as you and i both know because it's plate change month but this year um it's, it's expected to be pretty big because car manufacturers have got a lot of stock to actually sell so september could be the month for some great new car buys well as you say it's been a very difficult period for car manufacturers especially on the new model front and we've had some really tragic news people like you know mitsubishi leaving the uk market etc but however our own guys mg have done rather well they posted record sales for june and indeed for july what do you think that mg has got right and why are they doing so well against all adversity it would seem well, firstly, they've got um, an electric car. Now, uh, you know, the MG ZS EV, you know, it hasn't got the best range in the world, but it is, a, you know, a more than decent enough range. It's very good. You know, the pricing is very keen. And in actual fact, it's, it's a pretty well-made, solidly built car. And that actually translates to, to, to the rest of their range, really. You know, they've developed a lot in the last uh, well, nearly 10 years now. Um, and, uh, you know, as we stand now, they've got um, two SUVs in the range. They've got a super mini. They've got a, an estate, you know, all electric estate uh, on the way. And it just shows you that when a brand actually positions itself with a strong, loyal dealer network, well-made cars, keenly priced and with a long seven-year warranty, it can actually get some traction. And I think MG are actually surprising a lot of car manufacturers at the moment because they're getting it right. And a lot of car manufacturers are getting it wrong. One of which, as you mentioned, was Mitsubishi. 
I mean, big surprise, really. Um, but when you talk to the car dealers, the actual dealers who, you know, the actual guys who are selling their products, a lot of them could see it coming. And um, to be perfectly honest with you, I think we're going to see a lot more of it this year and into the next. But, you know, I think MG are here to stay, really, and, and, and good on them because they're getting it right. Well, there's often a lot of debate in MG circles about the fact that MG currently doesn't have a sports car model in their lineup and that they really should be building little two-seater cars like the MGF and MGBs of old. But what their sales figures prove and what you've just described there is the fact that what they're really doing is what a car manufacturer needs to do, and that is to build cars that people actually want to buy. And there just isn't a market for sports cars in the new car market at the moment, is there? No, there isn't, unfortunately. And, and, uh, and Mazda are, you know, they're continuing with the MX-5. They've got the market to themselves. They've, they've killed off the only competition, which was, of course, the Fiat 124 Spider, which, as we know, was a, a Mazda in a sharp Italian suit. Actually, I can't believe I said that. That was quite, quite a Quentin Wilson top gear thing to say, <laughs> actually, there, wasn't it? But, um, but it, it's killed off its only competition. Um, and you know the sports car market is slowly dying away and it's very very sad and you can't blame mg for not rushing into that market for two reasons really um firstly people um are buying suvs at the moment you know proper die heads diehard petrol heads like you and i are probably thinking you know, this is a terrible trend, but that is what's selling at the moment. And MG have got the right product range at the moment to uh, capitalise on that. And secondly, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not a particularly nice truth, but the vast majority of people who are buying MGs at the moment, they may have an inkling of where the MG name has come from, but they're not really interested in brand heritage. They're, they just want to have a car that's cheap, reliable and has got a long warranty on it um and you know the proper diehard mg fans like you and i and, and all the listeners listening to this probably you know even if we went out and bought a brand new mg sports car it wouldn't be enough for the brand to invest in one you know let, you know mgr they they do keep saying they are going to to bring one I've been covering this story for the last 10 years and they keep saying they're going to launch a, a two-seater sports car. I mean, the latest news from them is they, they are going to put into production this all-electric GT car. Um, I think that's probably a, a good thing for them to do, um, but it's not going to be a direct replacement for cars like the TF and the F and for the MGB, unfortunately. But that is the fact of the matter. Um, I do think they need a sportier model in their range just to give their, their brand a little bit of a premium touch, really a bit of excitement. But at the moment, it's all about SUVs. It's all about those volume cars. And, and I, I don't blame them for that, really. And what they've done very well, of course, is make that SUV all-electric model that is entry level yet as you say still has that great degree of quality and, and good equipment they're not sort of bare essentials cars and for a long time we really haven't had anything in the uk at least that's been really affordable basically in the ev market no we haven't and that's been um 
a big problem in the EV market, really. I mean, you know, the Nissan Leaf first appeared 10 years ago now, um, but that was a pretty expensive car. Um, and as battery technology has increased, and it's, it's developed at an alarming rate over the past five years or so. Um, but, you know, a lot of electric cars are still very expensive for the vast majority of people. I mean, prices are coming down. Um, and the MG ZS EV is at a good price point. Um, the interesting thing to, uh, to to see what MG are going to do with that car is, can they develop the range a little bit? Because at the moment, I think it's around 160 miles. You know, that is fine. But um, within the next 18 months, MG could well get swamped with a with a range of, of newer cars coming along, which will which will be probably similar price points um, and have longer ranges. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see whether MG can can uh, uh, you know capitalise on this great advantage that they've had so far. I mean, there's been some great sales numbers with that car. They've really owned that part of the sector, and hopefully with the MG5 um, electric estate, they will have a stronger foothold in, in the electric car market. But again, like I've already said, price alone won't be the, the only reason why people buy MG ZS EVs, really. It, they need to be, uh, you know, need to have a little bit more, a few more strings to their bow. Mm. And of course, Adam and I spoke last week on the podcast about the fact that the electric movement within the car industry has blown things wide open. And for the first time since the Second World War, really, we've seen new car manufacturers popping up all across the world. Just recently, we had a, a new Polish car manufacturer appear. Do you think that MG have got their work cut out to compete with these other companies? Or do you think these other companies are just flashes in the pan? They're trying to jump on the back of the bandwagon and, and probably in the long term will fail. What's your view on them? I think there will be um, quite a few car brands that will, will appear, that will spring up in the in the next few years and they will quietly disappear as is the way in 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 this game you know it's it's happened for years that you know a new brand has, has come along promising to sort of revolutionize the market and they disappear um i don't think mg has got a huge amount to worry about really because um like i say particularly in the uk they've established a strong foothold here um, and of course, in, in in China, where the brand is is very different to how it is in the UK, um, they're 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 very strong there as well. Um, I, I think I think the long term future for for the for the uh, motor industry is going to be actually not one of expansion. It's going to be one of um, constriction. Really, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of car brands, famous car brands, car brands with a lot of heritage. They're going to really struggle um, for two reasons, really. One, because um, electric cars, they sort of, um, it's very difficult for a car manufacturer to come up with something that's unique in the world of electric cars. Um, and also the cost of R&D, especially at the moment where everybody's racing towards this, this ban on petrols and diesels in the early 2030s. Um, a huge amount of R&D is going into producing greener, cleaner cars. Um, and they're not just greener, cleaner cars, but they're also cars that have got fantastic infotainment systems. They've got the latest um, you know, pieces of tech on them. And for some of the famous brands that are standing on their own, and I'm thinking of one particular British brand here, I don't need to say who it is, um, it is a 
bit of a worry how they're going to actually carry on without some massive tie-up um, with another big brand. So this FCA and PSA joining together, um, creating this bizarre group called uh, Stellantis, I think that's what it's called, um, we're going to be seeing an awful lot more of that. With more car brands joining together in big alliances, we're going to be seeing some of the smaller brands in within those alliances disappear as well. So, you know, I wouldn't be wouldn't be surprised that one of the casualties of of this big SCA and PSA um, association is that some of the brands, perhaps brands like Opel and Vauxhall you know, they may find life a little bit difficult when, um, you know, Peugeot are controlling the, the purse string. So um, to answer your question, yes, I think we will for a long time see um, new brands popping up, but I think they're going to disappear and uh, we're going to be left with a small number of enormous players and those players are all going to have some kind of association between themselves. And uh, yeah, I think we've got to be braced for some big brands actually disappearing. As you mentioned there, 2030 is the line in the sand that the government are drawing for the end of production for petrol and diesel vehicles. Given the setbacks that COVID has placed on a lot of these manufacturers to develop technology and all of the distractions of the modern world now that we find ourselves in, do you think that's really going to happen? Is it likely to be, or is that going to be a deadline that's going to slip? Well, at the moment, it's it's a well, it's it's a slightly movable deadline. I mean, you know, it's come forward from 2040 to 2035. You know, it's likely to move forward to 2032, and if campaigners get their way, it's going to be 2030 or even before that. Um, to be perfectly honest with you, I think manufacturers are going to really struggle to get um, enough. Uh, electric cars on the road to have enough of a compelling product lineup to fit with that timeline because um, you know the average development cycle for a car is eight to ten years and it's very easy to set these goals for governments and for lobbyists to set these targets and just to expect the car manufacturers to um, stick to, to to be able to adhere to them, and you know, getting 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 uh, getting to these targets is going to be very very hard. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised um, if if it moves. Um, possibly, and it's probably going to be coming forwards. But I, I, I re- I'm going to really struggle to see the manufacturers going to actually meet those. Um, but I'd also um, be pretty interested to see where the loopholes are going to be or where there's going to be some um, uh, sort of allowances for certain car manufacturers. If you look at brands like Caterham, for example, and the small sports car makers, you know, at the moment, this 2035 ban is all inclusive of whatever car you make. But I would hope that um, for the car brands who only produce cars in very small numbers that can't invest in electric car technology, there may be some kind of, of, uh, of, of ruling that allows them to carry on producing sm- very small production runs of petrol engine cars, um, you know, appealing to, to sports car fans. And, and you know, if, if we do get to a future where you and I have to do our daily commute in an all-electric car, but we're also able to drive a, a petrol engine sports car without feeling guilty about it. I, I'm perfectly happy with that future, really. And um, so, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting 
10 to 15 years ahead of us really absolutely one of the things we're very keen to keep pushing and keeping an eye on through the federation of british historic vehicle clubs of course is maintaining our ability to use historic vehicles on the road at long past 2030 of course the problem mainly being not that uh, we're going to struggle to get exemptions to continue using them but supplies of petrol are going to be difficult to get hold of you know if if the mass market are not wanting petrol on forecourts as much as uh, electric charging points uh, then that of course pushes up the prices and uh, reduces availability for everyone else but realistically you know second-hand car market is still going to be flooded with combustion engines it's going to be decades after that i would have thought before we see the end of the combustion engine entirely isn't it oh yes absolutely i mean this this 2035 deadline um is just you know it's it's the starting point for the, the, the banning of pure petrols and diesels. You know, for many years after that, we're going to be seeing hybrids because not every car manufacturer is going to be able to offer a full electric uh, product range. So there's going to be plenty of hybrids coming after that, which will be utilising petrol, petrol and diesel engines. And also, just like you said, in the used car market, petrols and diesels are going to be around here for a very long time because not everybody can afford you know, the, the, the tens of thousands of pounds of going out and buying a brand new car. Um, and, uh, but, you know, it is going to be interesting to see what the price of petrol is going to be. Will, will we still, you know, at the, the Shell petrol station just down at the end, just at the end of the road from me, I mean, in 15 years' time, will there still be petrol and diesel pumps there or were they all going to be electric pumps? You know, are we going to feel... Um, Made to, made to feel guilty about going to a, a filling station and, and going to the petrol pump to fill up our, our lovely British sports cars. Who knows, really? But um, the used car market is still going to be buoyant. But the, 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 the thing I'm really worried about is I think there's going to be a huge gulf between relative, relatively new used cars and the proper classics. You know, the, the cars that are caught in the middle, cars from the last 10 to 20 years, may well completely disappear off our roads. And, you know, I know it's been a, a topic of much discussion amongst the MG Car Club about the ZMGs are disappearing off our roads. And I think that's only going to be accelerated over the next 10 years because these cars are going to become difficult and expensive to maintain. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's, it's like I say, it's going to be very interesting to see how it pans out. Talking of that Shell garage down the road from you, James, what are you filling up at the Shell garage down the road from you these days? Because I know you've you've owned MGs, haven't you? What have you got in the uh, James Bachelor collection at the minute? Well, I've got a, I've got a couple of cars, um, one, one of which is one of those ghastly German minis, but we won't talk about that. Um, but the, the other one, which I've owned for a year, is, uh, is an MGZ. T uh, 160. The uh, it's, a, it's a V6, and it's uh, uh, it's a car I've always promised myself. Really, I mean, uh, so back when I was much younger, I, I think I was around 12 at the time when back in 2001 when the Z range appeared, and uh, I was completely and utterly captivated by it. Which you know, a very odd 12 year old I know, um, but I I, I I remember seeing the cars uh, at the Seawood MG dealership in Portsmouth. Um, I remember uh, the salesman giving me the big, thick, weighty 
brochure um, of, of the new MGZ models and, you know, reading and lapping up the, the words which uh, Anthony Reid waxed lyrical about, about how fantastic the ZT was. And, uh, and I remember watching Top Gear back in the day when Tiff Nadell was throwing, uh, throwing the uh, ZT and the ZS and the ZR around the track. And I did say to myself, one day, I want to have a red MGZT, and that's what I went and bought myself last year. Um, the only caveat to that was that it had to be an early car, so I've, I've, got, a, I've got an early Y-Reg um, ZT. And, uh, yeah, a lot of my friends think I'm completely bonkers. They say to me, why are you driving around in a 20-year-old Rover? But uh, as I'm sure many many listeners will understand, you know, and this is the fantastic thing about cars, isn't it? That uh, they all speak something to us, to us, don't they? You know, you know, I, lots of my friends like uh, Japanese performance cars, and for me, I ha- I, they hold no interest for me whatsoever. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what it is. Um, I just particularly like the the ZMGs. They're very of their time. They've got a slight max power feel to them, haven't they? And and also they are properly good cars. I mean, the ZT that I've got is it still holds up as a seriously quality, well made um, performance car, actually. And uh, and I absolutely love it. And uh, I suppose my MG fascination has come from my dad because he's had a an MGB for the last 35 odd years. It's a rubber bumper, 1978 GT, an Inca yellow um, with, with a vinyl roof and, uh, I mean, very 70s, inky yellow vinyl roof and deck chair seats. Um, but uh, that's where my passion has come from, really. And, uh, yeah, it's a difficult passion to explain. Um, and but I, I absolutely I absolutely love the uh, the ZT and uh, the, the MGB will be handed down to me. Strange really with MGs, but uh, people like to lampoon MGs, particularly the MG Rover era. But um, and this is particularly, I think it's one of the bigger reasons why the company failed. Actually, is that people like to lampoon MG Rover and the MG brand in general. But in actual fact, for those in the know. They know that MG have not always, but for the vast majority of the time, built you know properly desirable, great cars and cars which people like you and I absolutely cherish. Absolutely. Well, you don't need to convince us. We're on your side, James. We love our Zs, <laughs> and of course, you mentioned there that we, as the MG Car Club, are spearheading this uh, ongoing campaign to save our Zs. And like you, I remember them from being younger. I was at university at the time when I saw my first ZT, and and I remember it being parked outside the Corn Exchange in Leeds, and the first time I'd seen one in the flesh. And yeah, I'd seen them on Top Gear, and I saw one finally in in person, and it was like a Rover seventy five. I was really interested in all of a sudden, and it just made all the difference, <laughs> didn't it? They were fantastic cars and future classics, without a doubt. Just tell us one of the highlights of your career so far. Um, I mean, I, luckily, I've, I've had I've had um, ten years in in this game, and there's been uh, ten. I mean, the motor trade and the car industry changed a lot over the past ten years. Um, and I've been particularly lucky to to work at Auto Express and to and to uh, and to drive some wonderful cars and go to some wonderful places. But the thing that struck me the most, really, is um, the car industry is 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 very old fashioned, and um, it, it really is is making a huge change at this present moment in time. Um, whether it's a change that people like you and I are going to be comfortable with, um, 
I don't know. I mean, my professional hat, because I'm a journalist, I'm obviously very, very excited about the future, the development of the car. You know, a car is going to carry on being a source of fantastic mobility and freedom for everybody. But I do sort of look back over my 10 years in, in the car industry, um, which, is, which is tiny compared to lots of other journalists. But I, I do look back over the last 10 years with a slight sense of sadness that perhaps we've seen the golden age of performance cars really and also cars you know things like city cars and um uh, and to a lesser extent sports cars as well i mean I, I i do sort of look towards the future with a slight heavy heart really um but uh but but you know thankful for the fact that i've been able to spend some great times with cars and go to some lovely places thankfully we can look after the old stuff here in the mg car club and keep using the historics to uh, give us a, a dose yes. of passion but uh, james bachelor has been fantastic to get your view on the motor industry as you see it uh, at the moment and as you say some difficult times ahead but uh, we wish you all the best of luck and thanks for joining us on the mg car club podcast absolute pleasure wayne thank you very much for us the mg car club podcast Safety Fast, the magazine of the MG Car Club. Get your copy now by joining us at mgcc.co.uk. Well, this week in the MG Car Club shop, lots of good merchandise as ever, and we thought once again we'd take you for a tour around some of the bits that Adam and I have picked out that we want to buy this week. If you are like me and you love reading about the British motor industry history, uh, it's called Mr. MG, and it is the biography of John Thornley. Tell us all about John Thornley, Adam. So John really was, uh, the word is overused, but John Thornley was a legend um, in, in MG. That's why, you know, we've got the John Thornley suite named here at Kimber House in his honour. So John was uh, managing director of the MG Car Company. Um, he later served as the um, president of the MG Car Club. We could do a whole, and maybe we should dedicate a whole podcast to, uh, to John at some point. The fact that there's a book written about John Thornley in the first place tells you a lot about the pioneers that these men were when they were running car companies that exist still today we still have car factories we still have car companies will there be biographies of some of the management of some of the factories that are churning out cars today i very much doubt it to be honest no definitely and i mean john did so much um, not just for mg but also for the mg car club i mean it was john thornley who um, came to abingdon as a car club member um, and convinced Cecil Kimber to allow um, the use of the MG Octagon for the club's badge. You know, he wasn't even working um, for MG at the time, but um, but yeah, he he did a brilliant job um, for 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 all sorts of elements of MG. And when they closed the factory in 1980, um, it was John Thornley who was instrumental in making sure that there was a plan for um, the factory site that would benefit Abingdon, that would make sure that, you know, he worked hard to make sure that as many people who were here at the factory were taken care of, um, you know, when when it all wound down. Um, you know, he was an ambassador for the MG Car Club. Um, yeah, there's there's too much to say about uh, about um, about John. And uh, I've had the pleasure of meeting his son, Peter, who wrote the, uh, the Mr. MG book that we're talking about. Um, I met Peter last year in, in America. But yeah, wonderful guy and a, and a fascinating story. 
A great addition to your collection if, like me, you like your history books about the British motor industry. Mr. MG available now on the MG Car Club shop. And uh, if you're taking the opportunity while the weather's nice to enjoy the car, if you're getting out and about in it, or even if you're working on it, and you know, I'm sure you've done the same, Adam. You'd be working on the car. You've had to scrabble underneath it, laying a bit of grease or a bit of oil here and there. And then you just need to move the car or sit in it to operate controls, test something or whatever, or, you know, just go for a quick test run. You don't always want to have to get change every time you sit in the seat. A great way of protecting your seat is to use one of the MG Car Club branded seat covers, isn't it? Yeah, they they do exactly what it says on the tin. You know, it's important. You don't want to be getting grease, especially if you've got a fabric interior like I've got. Um, you know, the last thing you want to be doing is getting grease and muck and dirt ground into the seats. Um, so, yeah, so a seat cover to protect things when you're working on the car is, is a real sort of must-have for anyone who's, who's doing their own spannering. Also available now on the MG Car Club shop. And, of course, another reminder that the 90th anniversary is this year. 2020 marks 90 years of the MG Car Club. And, of course, there's loads of branded merchandise in the shop to celebrate that fact as well. If you haven't got your grill badge yet, they are available. Make sure your order's in. And also, of course, you can sport like I'm sporting now whilst we're recording this podcast, your 90th anniversary polo shirt. It's all very good stuff, and you can get it all now via shop.mgcc.co.uk. Well, the sun is shining, it's lovely and warm. I am going to go out, put the roof down on the car, and go for a blast. So until next week, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Subscribe to receive new episodes of the MG Car Club podcast at mgpodcast.uk.